Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutla Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chatha Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people. Hi there, my name is B, and I'm the producer of Native Chalk Talk Podcast. So welcome to the first episode of season two. And as Rachel may say, halito, y'all. Now I know you're expecting to hear from Rachel, but we've got a bit of a different lineup for today. The tables are turned and I'm going to be putting Rachel in the hot seat to share her and her ancestor stories. And I think you'll find it interesting, surprising, and inspirational. So we're doing this episode in two parts. In the first part, Rachel will talk about her own story. And in the second part, you'll get to hear about her ancestors. So buckle your seatbelts. And Rachel, welcome to your podcast today, where you are actually the guest. Well, Yakoki B, and thanks for sitting in the driver's seat today. I'm so nervous to go over the questions you'll have for me, but bring it on. Do you have your Dr. Pepper ready? Well, you should be nervous because I am not holding anything back. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) So yes, I have my Dr. Pepper and I am ready to go. So for our listeners, Rachel and I figured out a while back when we were recording for something else that we were much better when we had our Dr. Peppers on hand. Yeah. I'm much more interesting when I have my liquid gold by my side. (laughs) I I think you are too. I don't know. Probably. I mean, I agree that you're much more interesting that way. <laughs> wah, Thanks. Wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> so now but, my listeners, you see what I put up with. I know. <laughs> Sorry. I know I'm terrible. That's okay. We're both terrible I together. It. I know, right? <laughs> so first, why don't we talk about our friendship and how we even ended up being able to get to work together. So you and I worked together at a former job and we discovered one day that we had some similar passions. So we're both in the arts, but mm-hmm. both also work in technology. Weird, right? Yeah, and then I thought it was really cool that we both studied opera, 
which nice. floored me because I really hardly ever meet anyone who sings opera. And then when I tell them I do, then they just kind of roll their eyes or, you know, me too. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, maybe they look at us funny, but the opera mixed with the software job really amps the nerd factors up a few notches. It was just, <laughs> it was just so funny. You and I kept learning more and more about each other. And we we're like, no, stop, get out. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we worked at that technology company together and then we just kept talking and talking and yeah it was really pretty cool and so then one day you were telling me about this passion that you had for your family stories how you love telling other people's history too and then also how you were thinking of creating a podcast so you could preserve those stories yeah and you know the crazy thing was you just happened to have helped with some other podcasts in the past and the more we talked again, just one more of those things we were like, nah, -uh. <laughs> and, and also just working together. You know how, when you're in the office and, you know, even remotely, cause you're in California and I'm in Illinois right now. And so, but we've just found that we work together. We had way too much fun, probably, probably too much fun, but, <laughs> but, but Hey, maybe we should take this podcast thing seriously. And honestly, I could not do it without you. That is for sure. But, and I'm just going to brag on you for a minute. Sorry to take back over in the driver's <laughs> seat, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> for our listeners, B is amazing to work with. And once I finished the first half of the process, which is finding guests, I interview them and then I prepare for the recording and then do the recordings. So then she's a godsend to do the editing and post onto the podcast platforms, a total godsend. I remember those first few that we did. I'm like, can you please be on with me? I don't want to do this Zoom recording without <laughs> you. I'm so scared. You're like, don't worry, I'll be there. <laughs> and then like I was interviewing the chief and, and he was like, oh yeah, uh, we got to do this in like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, uh, I had set this up for an hour and I'm like, babe, you gotta help me. Uh, the pressure was on. <laughs> yes. And you're just very calm and you're like, we can do this. So anyway, so you, I hope you don't mind me saying so, but as of now, you've been volunteering your time. And that's another reason why I'm, I'm going out this season and trying to get some sponsors. Cause, um, these are just ve very valuable hours. You have a lot going on. You have your full-time job. Plus I know you do a lot of things on the side that we'll talk about later. And it's just hours and hours. I know you're pouring into that editing, even when you're sick and we have to get the podcast rolled out every week anyway. And you and I have just both been get well, I hope you don't mind my telling the listeners you just got over the Rona. Yeah, that was uh, pretty miserable. But, um, oh, you know, I really sorry. enjoy, I really enjoy working with you. I enjoy working on this podcast. So I think we make Aww. a great team. Absolutely. I mean, I, and, and being able to work with another a fellow, um, a lady is awesome. Smart, smart <laughs> lady too. So anyway, I just have to say as a side note, not only did my good friend at work, who I know is super smart and hard worker coincidentally also works with podcasters in the past to, you know, to add to that, my neighbor, as you know, he just happens to also coincidentally work for sure. Who makes the best podcast mics on the planet. I'm using mine right now. And Hey, if you've got these two coincidences going a, should I do this quickly turns into the universe must be telling me something scenario and telling both of us something. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, totally. I agree. The heavens opened up and showed you the way <laughs> we should sing it together. All yeah. <laughs> no, we won't do that. Don't worry. Listeners. <laughs> maybe someday we'll sing together. Not yeah, on this podcast we'll... today. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not today with both of us being sick. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, I think it's time that your guests learned a little bit more about your background 
Uh, and then also about your ancestors, which really led to the reasoning behind why you started Native Chalk Talk in the first place. So let's start with your early life. Where were you born? So yeah, I was born in a little town called Chickasha, Oklahoma in 1975. And even though we lived in the next town over called Anadarko, my sisters and I did a recording recently that should go live next season. And it's about Anadarko and our growing up there. And, and it's a place very near and dear to our hearts. We, we love our hometown. Oh, nice. And so where is Anadarko actually located in Oklahoma? Well, you know, basically Anadarko is out in the middle of nowhere. And then you drive about 50 miles past that and you'll run into it. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. But there really are more remote places than Anadarko. I mean, we had a Walmart, but we didn't Ooh. have a McDonald's or anything when I was growing up. But we did have the Walmart and people from surrounding towns would come there. So sometimes you got to see some faces you didn't recognize, you know, it's, oh, where are they from, Gracemont? Anyway, interesting fact, there are more Native Americans there per capita in Anadarko than anywhere in the world. So feel free to impress your friends with that information. Huh, noted. So <laughs> you were born in Chickasha, but raised in Anadarko. Yeah, yeah. So um, before we moved out to the country outside of Anadarko, when I was three, the house we lived in was across from the Anadarko fairgrounds where the Indian fair took place every year. Um, it's called the Indian Expo kind of a big deal. We'll talk about that more mm -hmm. in that in next season. And it was a Sears home and it was built in 1900, which was one of those kits that people could order from a catalog. You could order a kit for a house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you just <laughs> order it and lickety split, it comes to your house and you basically pull the parts out of the box and you set it up. I mean, not really, but you did order it out of a catalog, just like you'd order a pair of shoes. And I think wow. it's a cool idea, right? I mean, I say bring the Sears homes back. That is cool. Yeah. And if you look them up, they're really pretty. There's some awesome styles in there. And, but what's cool about this house and the reason I wanted to mention it was the very first ever white baby born in Anadarko was born in that house. And when huh. we bought it, it was like 75 years old and it's still standing today. So it's 122 years old right now. Wow. So, and then my sister Stacy was born and then three years later there was Skylar and they were perfectly happy until another three years later, I was sent onto the earth to torment them and to <laughs> teach them patience. I mean, you know, you're, you, oh, I know, so. I know <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what we're here for. Um, exactly. So anyway, my first memory was from that home, believe it or not, I only lived there till I was, I think I was three it was so long ago. I don't remember, but along with the fairgrounds being across the road, there was also a railroad track. And I remember my mother rocking me as a baby and hearing that train. And I was actually comforted by it in my head. So mm -hmm. I was like to think of that. And then, um, let's see from there, my parents knew they wanted to buy some land so that, you know, their three crazy feral daughters could roam free and cause trouble <laughs> without being seen. They wanted to take us out of the town. Um, so we temporarily moved into a rental home, which we called Mr. White's house. I assume he was the landlord because otherwise I have no idea why we called it that Mr. White's house. Hmm. By the time I was three to five years, I think maybe three or four, my mom and daddy had found their way out to the country west of Anadarko and decided to take up roots there. And that's where I lived the rest of my time in, you know, growing up other than when I spent three years in college in Weatherford. Huh. Okay. So what was it like living in the country? Oh my gosh. We absolutely loved it. Like I said, we were feral children. We had chickens and rabbits, dogs, ducks, fan pigeons, and 
horses and sheep for a while. We killed the sheep. We went on a vacation. We came <gasps> back and I don't know what we did, but it was, not oh, no, I feel so bad even to this day, but, <laughs> and for a while we had 500 cats. Oh my um, goodness. Oh, and, and guineas. I hate those birds. They would eat. Have you ever seen a Guinea bird? I, I haven't. Okay. You should look them up. Google it. Everybody Google Guinea birds. They're the worst, but they would eat the millions of grasshoppers on the land. There were just huge grasshoppers everywhere you could take their, this is going to, I'm going to sound like a terrible person, but we would take their legs off and use them for bait because they were so thick and juicy. They were, I mean, they were the, sometimes the length of like your finger to the end of your thumb. Like that's how big they were. They were huge. They do the same thing in Croatia. They use grasshoppers as bait. Okay, so, so I'm, see, I'm used to it. It's okay. <laughs> okay, good. So we're not we're not that bad. <laughs> see, another way we have this thing in common. Um, um, so you know, we needed the guineas because they would eat the grasshoppers, even though sometimes we use use them for bait. But the guineas would fly at our heads and peck at us, and they'd basically try to kill us multiple Ugh. times. We almost died, and then they'd wake up at like six in the morning and they'd peck at my sister Skylar's window to wake her up. And she loved that, especially in her teen years <laughs> when she was nice and fresh as a daisy. Anyway, I don't know. Growing up there was, was hard, but it was great. And, um, you know, we were just born to roam the prairie and catch snakes and run around with no shoes on. And we fulfilled that role perfectly. <laughs> I remember, um, when my husband and I were going to move to, from Texas, we lived out in the country and we could, we would just sometimes take these drives and we would just, look at the wide open spaces in the fields. And we just, oh, it just, it was like therapy. You could just get in the truck and just drive and drive. And when he told me, hey, my job is transferring us up to Chicago area. I was like, no. And I remember one time I went to sleep and I was half asleep and half awake. And I was like, I just need my wide open spaces. And so I feel like, you know, once you have that in your blood, sometimes it's hard to, to get it out of there, but yeah, okay. Totally understand. Right. I know that you, you love nature as well. And so, but we lived off of highway nine and you drive up this long driveway that was always washing out anytime it rained. So it was a rough drive up that road and the house was built in the early 1900s, I believe. And we found, um, an old soldier's belongings in the attic from world war one. So that was, interesting. Whoa. and so my mom and daddy bought it, hoping to fix it up over time. <laughs> famous last word, but that took the rest of the years that they lived there to get about 20% into repair um, and fixing it up. And it's not for lack of working on it. It was just because there was so much to fix up. And it's not like we had just money growing from trees. So, but I remember the day we moved in, believe it or not, even though I was little, there were holes in the walls that we could stick our heads through. We loved it. And like from Stacy's room into the kitchen, we could basically walk up like a drive through and ask for some food. Um, <laughs> not that my mom would have given it to us. She tell us to come in and get, you know, get it our own dang selves. But, you know, I may wear a lip gloss and poof up my hair, but my sisters and I grew up pretty tough and strong. I mean, mm -hmm. looking back, we were poor, but we didn't know it. And the community where we grew up was the same to some degree. So it's not like we felt like we were looked down upon at least, you know, not where we lived, but, and then, you know, I wanted to tell you about our garden because it was enormous and, um, we grew our own vegetables and my sisters and I worked in oh, the blistering cool. heat in the summer. Yeah. I mean, it was huge and, you know, you'd have to prepare the ground, till it, and then plant, pick potato bugs off the plants are disgusting. They, they would like pop like ticks. It's so gross. And oh, then, oh, gross. You know what I'm talking about? Have you yeah. seen potato bugs? Oh, Ugh. Yeah. yes. 
And then, you know, you have to weed, you have to pick the vegetables, shell the peas while sitting under the apricot tree. That was always kind of fun because we would talk while we were doing it. Um, but anyway, I, I also often brought my little matchbox cars out there to the garden. I loved transams and firebirds. So I had several that I'd drive around out there and make trails and rivers with the water when I was, you know, watering. (laughs) Um, I was always losing those cars out there and I'd get upset and they'd have to go get me another one for my birthday. But, but I suppose in my, my younger years, I probably played on the sly while I was working out in the garden. My mama probably wondered why it took me so long to pick the vegetables, but, um, (laughs) anyway, we grew our own vegetables and we had eggs from our chickens and my mama made our clothes, which was actually cheaper to do that than buying clothes back then. But now I think it's actually the opposite. Yeah, probably. Right. A lot of our friends grew up the same way, but sometimes we'd have friends who'd come out to see us and they'd be afraid of the animals or weren't used to the dirt and the weeds. And I, I didn't think anything of it until they'd come out there. And then I'd realize I probably, looked and sounded like a a dirty pig, you know, (laughs) trying to like clean myself up and go, yeah, I hate the dirt too. Yeah. (laughs) So my, my two older sisters and I spent our time outside exploring our 10 acres or walking along the prairie surrounding us where the cattle would graze. And we didn't have neighbors until our pastor's family moved about half a mile down the road. So we became great friends, all of us. And I remember riding horses and we figured out a way to go into the pastures next to our home. Cause there were different fences blocking off the other ranchers properties. And we'd ride our horses down to the highway, but we could cross under the highway through a tunnel. So we yell all the way through the tunnel because the acoustics were fantastic. And then I always loved to sing as, as you did. And so sometimes I'd stand there in the mounds of cow poop pretending to sing opera for like an hour at a time. And, and I wonder why those cows looking back, why did they choose to go in that tunnel to poo? I mean, it was a lot of poop, probably like two or three inches up onto my boot. There's so oh, that's poop. bizarre. Anyway, we'd ride through the tunnel and then around on the red rock in the valley below us, which was just beautiful. And now something anyone who ever grew up in the pastures of Oklahoma will know is there are these nasty monsters that live in the fields. They'll sting you and it is not fun. They're called bull nettles. And they're this crazy stickery short bush that have these pokey needles that grab onto your skin. Ouch. And yeah, they sting you with poison. They look like something prehistoric too. So I'm just warning people, if you're ever going to go in the fields in Oklahoma, look out for them. Um, for people that have never heard of them, I'll post them on my native chalk talk Facebook page. Yeah. And they're, they're called bull nettles. They're just the worst thing ever. So you get stung and then you have to run all the way back to the house of your mama. And she has to mix warm water with baking soda and mix it together. And then you put it all over your legs. And then your mom asks, why weren't you wearing your boots or better yet? Why weren't you wearing any shoes at all? But, (laughs) and then there were also stickers. And I learned a few years ago that some people don't know what stickers are, but they're just these prickly little varmints that poke you and make you mad. Um, Oh, and then there are snakes, lots and lots of venomous and non-venomous snakes and the fiddleback and the black widow spiders, much less the, there's like boiling hot, squelching sun and weather in Oklahoma. And of course the tornadoes. These are the reasons I consider myself and anyone who grew up out in the country in Oklahoma to be pretty tough. You survive those elements and you just, you just know life will be okay. That sounds really intense. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I don't know how we would feel about all the snakes everywhere and tornadoes freak me out, but you know, it sounds like, you know, part of it, you know, with the gardening and all that sounds like it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Like. You just come to a certain time of year and you're totally safe and fine and it's fun. And Okay, but the tornadoes, I, I, know, right? I don't know. I mean, I live in California, we have earthquakes, but 
I don't know if I could handle tornadoes. I don't blame you. I totally get it. And sometimes when I go back now and I see the tornado weather and I'm kind of like, oh, like I should have probably been more afraid than I was, you know, like that's dangerous. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Come pick up your house. That's not cool. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I feel like Okies, sometimes I think they should get a medal or something. I mean, in 1982, we had 193 tornadoes. Good grief. Right. That's a lot of twisters. Now you're never going to come there, but um, <laughs> not during tornado season, if right. that is a thing, yeah. <laughs> which apparently it's up and through December now. I, I don't know what's happening this year, but, oh <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what's funny. I never even knew that any of this was out of the ordinary until I moved away from Oklahoma. And, you know, I, I just, I think back about Okies and I think that they're really tough. You rarely hear complaints um, and you couldn't complain because you're all in the same boat and it was hard for everyone. So you didn't want to look like, you know, a wimp, which is really the worst insult. If you're not tough, you won't survive. So you'd better toughen up buttercup type of approach. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I really am grateful that I had that upbringing, but there's no time to, you know, play a victim or get offended or feel sorry for yourself. And there's always so much work to be done and you got to work it as a team to get it done. And you just, you do what you do, but Having said all of that, I was actually the girliest of all my sisters. I'd wear my fluffy dress out into the field with those bull nettles and no shoes and, you know, hop on a horse with <laughs> my fluffy dress on. But, but the reason I'm even pointing these things out, you know, all the elements and all that is because in order to talk about my ancestors, their strength also has to do with the, what we call a red dirt state, you know, their dirt's really red there and they, they couldn't help, but be anything but strong. And again, people that aren't from there, maybe wouldn't realize it's like almost like living in another country. It's like speaking another language. There are just mm -hmm. huge cultural and just life differences. And, but you will never find a kinder, stronger group of people than you will in Oklahoma. And they care, like you wouldn't believe they know life can be hard and they'll go out of their way to help you and care for you. And I know I'm going on and on, but they're just genuine, good and hardworking people. And I sometimes I'll hear people who have never even been in the state talk about what they think we are and they couldn't be more wrong. I mean, even just ask Matt Damon, you know, he recently filmed a movie in Oklahoma and he later mentioned that Okies were nothing like he thought they'd be. And he walked away feeling like they're the nicest people in the country. So amen, Matt, amen. That's pretty amazing. Okay. Well, then I have to tell you that for years, I always wanted Oklahoma to be just like it was in the musical with people like singing and dancing in the streets. And, and then I found Aww. out as I got older <laughs> that they really don't. But it sounds like a really, really amazing place. The people Aww. sound strong, but you know, the, the type of people that you want as your neighbors and to be able to kind of support you, you guys support each other. So I, I love that. that. Thank <laughs> you for saying that. Yeah, I love that. And, and guess what? I have a surprise for you. We actually do go around singing Oklahoma. So no, we sure do. do. We sure do. <gasps> yep. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Me there sometime. Okay. Yes. When I visit, I expect someone to be singing yes. Oklahoma. <laughs> well, I'll make you sing with me. So I will sing it. Sure. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> well, out of all that that you were talking about, you were telling us about the house where you grew up. And I kind of wanted to, to get your family history too. But first, let's continue kind of setting the scene about your own life and about that house because I know it meant a lot to you. Yeah. You hear me talk about it a lot. Um, so that 
house was a very old farmhouse and it was freezing cold in the winter and burning up hot in the summer. My sisters and I were just talking about this the other day. And to this day, my house stays at 68 degrees in winter and summer. I can't stand hot or cold house because of that. So I've had this kind of love hate relationship with that house where we grew up and it was hard to concentrate on anything being so cold and so hot, but when we could afford it, my mom would order propane. So the propane guy would come out with his truck and fill up this tank in the front of our house. And we used to pre pretend it was a pig and ride it. <laughs> we are <Cute>. children. <laughs> but again, I, I don't know what the deal was, but I think we couldn't always afford the propane. And believe it or not, out there on the prairie in Oklahoma and kind of on that hill exposed, it was freezing cold in the winter, especially with harsh it. winds, right? And <laughs> you walk outside and the wind just like hits you so hard in the face. It feels like ice hitting you. And the house just had a lot of areas where the wind and cold could get in because it was an old farmhouse. So for instance, our front door used to whistle when it was windy outside, which was most of the time. So it made this like creepy, lonely sound out there when we were all oh my gosh. But you know, the, the wind and the cold weather often brought on some hardcore ice storms. And when the heat would go out, we would huddle around the wood burning stove in the den. And even though it was cold, it was also kind of cozy. And, and sometimes we'd watch TV all bundled up in blankets with the wood burning stove all glowing and that we had well water and often the pump in the pump house would go out. So we, you know, we went without water here and there. And I just remember like trying to make do around not having water, but we had one little bathroom for myself, my sisters and my mom and my poor dad. And my dad intended to fix the sink, but money was tight. So even though he had pulled the sink out to prepare um, he didn't get to replace it until I was almost out of the house, like to college. So, and my sisters are older than me, so they certainly were out of the house by then. So we used the bathtub to brush our teeth and we didn't have a shower head either until I'd gone off to college. So to this day, I still only take baths and I wow. still wash my hair in a sink, <laughs> but weird. I know, but things I did all growing up and old habits die hard, I suppose. I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> But we sure loved that, that whole area where we lived. It was called Hog Creek. And there are just multiple stories about why it's called that. But I was told that there were hogs given to the natives by the government. And because they were expecting beef, but the government got cheap on them and gave them hogs, they drove them off a cliff into a creek so the hogs would die. And I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. That's just what I've heard. But my maiden name is Schaffner. And to this day, people call me and my sister's the Schaffner girls from Hog Creek, but we also used to be teased that we were the girls on Little House on the Prairie, which is really so <laughs> fitting, right? <laughs> Did you just see an episode? Out totally. There? Oh. But my mom was so much like Ma Ingalls, it's uncanny. And sometimes if I, I can just picture us girls running around the fields on horses with our guns, roaming free and living like wild children. And to this day, I just need those wide open spaces. Like we talked about, you know, that peace and quiet of the prairie and the beautiful sunsets that go down over the yellow grass. It's just, you know, it's just heaven. It sounds absolutely beautiful until, you know, the tornadoes. So there's that, but yeah, there's that, <laughs> but I'm sure you must have a bunch of stories about the tornadoes. Yes. So where do I start? Where our house was on the prairie and on a hill, you got a front row seat to all the tornadic activity. And there's typically a pattern with the tornadoes. You know, it was, it was windy most of the time out there, but sometimes the wind would pick up so forcefully that the trees would look like they were just, you know, going to go blow straight over. And depending on how much you weighed, you could be blown over too. I mean, that's not even during tornado activity. It's just oh windy, <laughs> but 
I remember um, when you're on Easter, I couldn't even stand up and, and the wind would just pick me up and throw me on the ground and roll me back down the hill. And I was wearing a dress and it's just, oh, no. it was a good look, but, um, <laughs> but then, you know, the next phase and the, when there's tornado activity is there's a smell in the air, like rain, but also like something's a brewing. And then you gotta, you gotta watch the sky because if it's still daytime, the skies could turn so dark. It almost looks like it's nighttime. And that darkness could be a deep gray or my favorite, a dark green, like really, truly green. It's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the yellow field surrounding us looked so beautiful against that dark colored sky and the lightning. And of course that lightning was always accompanied by this just terrifying thunder that would pound and then keep on rolling and going on and on. And, and then of course, next step was typically what everybody knows, which is rain and hail. And often the rain would stop completely before the tornadoes came through. And it was just amazing. I mean, it was scary, but it was exciting. And my dad taught us to love it. Actually, he'd talk us through what was going on with the weather and analyzing it and what to expect next. And like, over oh, there's a funnel cloud and, and so on. But Okies will know this name. Gary England was the weatherman back then. And what Gary said was truth. He had the Doppler radar, which was high tech back then because <laughs> it's Oklahoma where tornadoes roam free and, and we're plentiful. So they gave us good equipment. So sometimes I'd get woken up in the middle of the night by the wind and the thunder and just know what was happening. And I'd go into the den and mom and dad would be watching Gary England, keeping an eye on how close the tornadoes were. And of course the picture on the TV would be kind of fuzzy because of all the wind blowing our antenna around outside. And anyway, at some point they'd say, okay, girls, it's time to get in the cellar. And now the cellar was something else be it was just it was probably built in the early 1900s and it was cold and full of spiders like fiddleback spiders brown recluses you know and yikes oh we always had cots and blankets and my mama canned food so there was tons of that down there you know books candles matches and really everything we could need for for a bit in case our house blew away but once dad gave us the word we'd grab our bags that were always packed by our beds and head on outside towards the cellar, trying to fight the wind and the rain and the hail. But, you know, I remember one time my mom came in to see what was actually packed in my bag. That's that was always by my bed, my go bag. And she dumped it out. She's like, what is this? And it was all Barbies. Like I didn't even have toothpaste (laughs) or underwear in there. And I have to save my Barbies. But, oh, we may not have a house, but we have Barbies. Yeah, it sounds like something I would do, honestly. (laughs) Right? I figured. (laughs) But, you know, since since mama always had books down there, she'd read to us by candlelight. I remember her reading Little Women and Oklahoma Run. That's a great book, by the way. It's out of print and it's an antique, but you can find it. Um, if you look around, but as scary as it was, it was a chance for us to really bond as a family and just be together. And anyway, I have so many tornado stories, but that's a whole other podcast. So what else you got? (laughs) Wow. Well, I don't really have any experience with tornadoes aside from what I've seen on the wizard of Oz and uh, it's very true to life. (laughs) So I I do kind of remember it being like kind of dark and maybe kind of greenish and almost like a just like a fog or, you know, that kind of thing. I don't yes. know if it gets foggy. I don't, we have a lot of fog here in the Bay area. So oh. I know fog. Well, so but... you could tell us about like um, earthquakes. I mean, how I... many have you experienced? Um, more than I would remember, but I definitely remember the big one, the Loma Prieta in 1989. Wow. So that was, that was pretty major. That was scary. Um, well, one weird thing about earthquakes is that I remember when the Loma Prieta came, I was outside 
I heard the earthquake coming, which sounds really weird, really? but it sounded like this huge wind. And mm -hmm. I remember kind of looking up to the trees and the trees started shaking and it oh was just gosh. like, Whoa. so there was this Whoa. huge sound with it. So, I mean, not as probably as noisy as a tornado, but it, but was, it was like rumbling the ground a little bit. Yeah. Right? Oh my it, gosh. Yeah. There was just a lot to it. And, you know, it was scary. Not all earthquakes are like that, but um, yeah, I definitely have have my own earthquake stories. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. But so how about where, where did you go to school? Tell us about that. Oh yes. Okay. So I went to public school in town in Anadarko for kindergarten and first grade. I loved school. I used to watch my sisters go off to school every day before I was eligible. And, you know, I just wanted to be like them. So I was excited about my first day of kindergarten and my mom dropped me off and there were all these kids crying for their mamas. And I was like, what's wrong with you? This is going to be amazing. <laughs> but, but then the church we went to grace church had recently began, began as a, a new church. Um, my parents and a few other couples, um, started that church. And I think people that live in Anadarko, um, they, they probably know that church. And anyway, they also started a Christian school. So that school was in town and it was this tiny little two or three room church slash school house. Perfect for the little house on the prairie family. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I'm not kidding. It looked like that building. I'll post that on my Facebook when, when I put this episode out, but there were about 15 kids in the school when we started. And sometimes it would fluctuate and go up and then it'd go back down. But I, I loved the Christian school and I loved going there. Mr. And Mrs. Shrove, um, they were the administrators and they would also teach. And then, um, Ms. Swindell, she was amazing. She's I'm still friends with her today, but, but then oh, my mom, sweet. I know like I, I you got to thank those teachers, you know, that yeah, big definitely difference in your life, but then dun, 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 my mom started homeschooling us. And I'm not against homeschooling. It's just like, it was a big change being, you know, I was going into sixth grade at that point. So I homeschooled, um, six or 12th grade and we really didn't, I, I think Stacy, my oldest, she sister, she wanted to homeschool. Cause she's always been like more about, I just kind of like to sit here in the dark and think about life where <laughs> Skylar and I, we were always like, can we go to Walmart so we can see people, but, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we, we didn't really went to homeschool, but there were some pros to it. Like I got my first job at around 12 years old, working at a Christian bookstore called the sea of Galilee. And eventually I started waiting. Oh, by the way, if you ever want to know what all the Bible types are, I can tell you. And eventually I started waiting tables at the cafe in the back called the art cafe. And I learned a lot. I had always done a lot of chores and used to try to make money, making hair things and washing cars and such. But this was a somewhat steady job for my age. And I'd get up early, I'd work out, I'd do my schoolwork and then off to work. And something that's great about homeschooling is that you do learn to be self-sufficient and you have more time mm -hmm. to think. So you're like, Hmm, I would love to make more money so I can buy really cute clothes or save up for college or whatever that's it is. True. And, 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 you know, if you just finish your work, you can go do other things. So you yep. want to get it done. But I didn't miss that daily interaction with my peers though. And I felt kind of isolated out there in the country. And I was also, I think I would have been decent at sports and competing and I didn't get a chance to do that. So I'm just kind of talking about the pros and cons of, 
of homeschooling, even though now I think there are sports opportunities for homeschoolers, so many more resources out mm-hmm. there today, but yeah. I always wanted a locker. Like sometimes I still, to this day, I have a dream of meeting my friends in the lunchroom at school and then going to my locker to get my books. And it's the same dream over and over. It's like, <laughs> I didn't, I can't fix it in my, my daughter. I would tell her, oh, you're so lucky you have a locker. And she's like, mom. <laughs> she's like, yeah. Okay. Mom, whatever. Right. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Lucky for having a locker. I know. She's like, I was just glad to get to my, you know, get my books and go from classroom to classroom, but weird. I know, but I feel like I missed out on football games and social events and all that, but who knows? I, I may have ended up a mess if I were not homeschooled, but maybe the grass really is perceived to be better on the other side. Cause sometimes people would say, lucky you get to homeschool. And I was like, what? I would change you. But my, like I said, my middle sister and I always saw a chance to go to Walmart as a chance to see people. So if mom mm-hmm. had to go to town as teens, we'd spend time getting ready using our Aquanet hairspray and mm-hmm. so excited to go to the store. I remember Aquanet. Oh, it's the best. If you want your hair to be a brick wall, it's the only one to use. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah extra super mega hold in the white yeah. can with a pink <laughs> label on it. <laughs> anyway, we were so lame, but same with church. We did get socialization from going to church and from the other kids there who had also started homeschooling. So it was nice to have that community, but we did Sunday morning service and we went home for lunch and we went back to church for Sunday evening service. I think a lot of churches don't do that anymore, maybe in smaller towns. Um, and then we had church on Wednesday nights and what was called flock night was another night. Flock was where we were the sheep, God's flock, if you will. We would get together for Bible study and then we had youth nights on and so on. But we also did a lot of work in the community and we had a clothing closet, which provided clothing for anyone who might need it. And we did a lot of free dinners at the church and we would help prepare and serve the food and do the cleanup and all that. It, was, it really was impactful, I think, on mine and my sister's lives. And, you know, Anadarko was 78% on welfare. So it's a rough situation. Um mm-hmm. But I think about it now and and we really had nothing too. So many of us had so little and yet as a church and as people, we were just taught to give and Hey, if we come together, give what you have. And I love that. It wasn't just a sermon. It was the way we lived all the time. It wasn't about, Oh, let's give and then post it on social media. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, but our daily lives were based on religion and our church community. So it's sometimes hard for me to separate anything in my childhood from talking about church and our religion. We also were followers of the Bill Gothard teachings and used to attend seminars with, you know, thousands of other people, which were called the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts, later called the Institute in Basic Life Principles, I think. I mean, talk about, hey, we go to Walmart, we might see one other teenager, you go to that and it's all teenagers plus their mm-hmm. parents, you know, it's like, oh, what am I going to wear? Um, but I, I'm still Christian today, but my faith is very different from when I was growing up. And I love the people I grew up with and I'm grateful we're still in each other's lives. So, well, it sounds like, you know, with your mom doing homeschooling and everything. Yeah. It was probably really weird for you guys and it could be somewhat isolating, but it also sounded like there were a lot of opportunities for you to be able to do things in the community. You know, looking back, if you had gone to public school, you wouldn't have had time to be doing a lot of that other stuff. And so that's, that's pretty cool that you were able to do that. It's, it's interesting to have your perspective on it because, um, you know, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I really wanted to be around friends. But I mean, hey, I took away so much good stuff from waiting tables at a young age and learning to try to make people happy that were sitting in my section. And 
Janita Talley was the owner of the place. And she was like the grandmother to everybody in the community. And she would, she taught me everything. She's like, you never put a straw in an iced tea. You always fill the sweet tea with ice all the way to the top. Then you put the uh, tea in. You don't do like half filled glass of tea. And um, you never ask somebody if they need a refill. You just get it for them until they tell you not to get your, you know, there's all these things. It was like, thank you, Janita. I still remember. (laughs) Yeah, that is a lot of really good things. And you were saying about being self-sufficient and I think definitely it taught you a lot of responsibility at a young age, which was good. And I think that um, that was a really good foundation for you to have growing up. So, so with that, then why don't you tell me a little bit about your family? So my dad was one of five kids born to his Choctaw fighter pilot father, W.C. Schaffner. Of course, I have to brag on him every time I say his name. Um, <laughs> and his his beautiful mother, Elwanda Hallbrook Schaffner in Wayne, Oklahoma. So it's a little bitty town. If you blink, you'll miss it. But my grandpa managed thousands of acres of our family's Choctaw land allotments, among other land he had also purchased over the years. And Um, But feel free to check out his really cool story told by my aunts and uncles in season one, episode six, W.C. Schaffner, Choctaw fighter pilot and family man. Um, It's an episode that's really dear to me. And there's some super interesting stories of things my grandpa did with his planes, like driving them down Main Street. And I guess I should say flying, not driving them. (laughs) He was, you know, he was a tough and strong rancher and he was strict with and demanding of his children, but his work ethic and his strength induced a great amount of respect from all of us. Um, but his wife, Elwanda, she was a proper Southern woman, always ran a hospitable, clean and tight ship of a home and, you know, their community just loved them. And, and so did we. And I, I didn't even, it's not even been until the last few years that I've realized when you just grow up with that, you have something to aspire to, even if you don't know it, like it, it would be, it would feel weird to try to do anything less than what they did because they just lived that every day. And it's like, oh, that's Mm -hmm. what we do. Like we'd be kind to people and we welcome people into our home. So anyway, I tend to think my personal work ethic came from, and and my daughter's too, she's a hard worker. And I think it came from both my grandpa, who we affectionately called Papa Shoff and, and his wife and like typical Okies, they didn't complain. They refused to be victims, even though my Papa Shaf especially could have acted like one with some of the things he went through. And, and they believe that despite setbacks, life still is what you make it. That's really cool. He sounds like an interesting man. And I remember when we were doing that podcast, there were a lot of great stories right. uh, that it's were my in favorite. it. Yeah. Papa Shaf. Papa Shaf. <laughs> he would and have loved you and your singing. I, I would have loved to have met him. Yeah, Yeah, he sounded pretty amazing. And so uh, then how about your grandma? Tell us a little bit more about her. Yeah. And, you know, because I usually focus on Native Americans in this podcast, I, she was not Native American and I sometimes forget, oh my gosh, I want to give her some glory too. So (laughs) she was um, from Arkansas and went to University of Oklahoma in a time when, and in a state where women didn't typically go to college, if you think about it, you know, and she believed strongly in education, especially for women and her daughters will still tell you to this day, mom taught us to go get educated. And, and we did that. So I was grateful that when I went to college, although I paid for college myself with my jobs and student loans, she helped pay for my housing. God bless her for that. Cause she was like, I'm not going to 
let Rachel not go to college and really appreciate her doing that. Wow. Yeah, that's really, really amazing of her. And I know that you had mentioned to me before that college was pretty much discouraged in your house, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, for sure. And I don't want to sugarcoat anything in this podcast as much as I can get away with, with saying without being hurtful, because I, I worry, you know, will my mom and dad be hurt that I'm saying this? And, and if you're listening out there, mom and dad, um, this is a test to make sure you're listening first of all, but, but secondly, (laughs) you know, no parent should be judged. I mean, I think about all the things that you know, I did wrong with Alex when she was growing up and she turned out great despite me, in spite of me, I guess. But, you know, don't, don't judge my parents for what I'm about to say, because they do it very differently today if they could, but going to college wasn't really an option, not only because we couldn't really afford it, but also because the Bill Gothard leader that we followed at the time, we, he didn't really believe in people, but especially women going to college. So, Um, fortunately my middle sister had decided she would be rebellious and go to college. (laughs) And because of her, I was brave enough to try to, so thank you, Skylar. So because I homeschooled and was pretty sheltered, I wasn't used to being around outsiders in quotes. So it was, it was a pretty challenging life after leaving home to go to college. Even now I still feel like I never fit in. And I assume everyone knows I was homeschooled, even though I'm 46 years old. Um, (laughs) and like, there's something about me. I'm not supposed to be amongst the rest of the world, but maybe everybody feels that way. You know, maybe it's not just homeschoolers and, you know, that sounds silly. I know, but, and nobody even cares, but I don't think I'll ever shake that feeling. And I've talked to my nephews about this too, before, where it's just like, you always feel like you're that outsider person looking in on everybody else, having a party or doing a barbecue and you're assessing what they're doing. And it's like, Oh, look at these people getting together. But I think today's homeschoolers, like I said before, they probably have a different feeling than that. Homeschooling is so much more accepted today. And I mean, heck with COVID, everybody had to homeschool at one point, Yeah, <laughs> but, true. but there's a lot of good resources out there. And I think homeschooling is great. I just had a hard time with it. And I think if I were to ever homeschool my kids, I would kind of know how to help them more or, um, how to encourage them and how to get them ready for college and, and things like that. But anyway, my dad took a page from his mama's book and has completed multiple degrees. He's a very smart guy. And one of those degrees is a master's in art. So he worked for Tinker air force base for a while. And then he was hired to his dream job at Riverside Indian school in Anadarko as an art teacher. And Riverside is one of the only remaining native boarding schools in the country today. And it's also the oldest at 150 years old this year. This is their 150. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Right. With Riverside, you know, that's why we moved to Anadarko and it was, you know, long before I was born when my parents moved there. But a lot of people are like, why are you a Choctaw living among the Plains Indians in Anadarko? You know, there's very few Choctaw there. So I really grew mm-hmm. up amongst their culture more than I did with my culture. Cause you know, a lot of Choctaws are in Northeast or Eastern Oklahoma or whatever, but But then there's my mama, Rita, who we sometimes call Rosarita. Talk about a hard worker and an amazing human. My mom never stopped going and going as she was raising us. She grew that that huge garden. She homeschooled us. She made her clothes. She worked part-time and kept a spotless house. I don't know how she did it, um, despite the fact that the house constantly fought her due to its, you know, its age and being in the country and having all these like holes where the dirt could come in and but she budgeted and she saved any penny that came her way. And we really had so little, but yet if you gave my mom $5, she'd figure out a way to feed a family of five. I'm not even kidding. I mean, 
now that I look back, it was pretty impressive. I mean, we also yeah. still tease her because she like rewashes her aluminum foil and saran wrap and baggies and lays them out to dry. So she rarely buys a new box of all those things. And I'd probably be rich <laughs> if I followed her, you know, her discipline, but sorry, mom. <laughs> it's actually something to brag about, right? Yeah. You know? I mean, being so conscious of what you're spending. And- yeah, exactly. But But her being cautious makes a lot of sense when you know her background. So she was born in Paola, Oklahoma, and Paola is spelled P-A-O-L-I, but like a lot of towns in Oklahoma, the ending in I means you say it with an A sound, so Paola. But anyway, I've always pictured Paola like Mayberry in a time that was so simple and people were kind to each other because my mom's mother and father were in a car accident early when my mom, the youngest of four children was like, my mom was like five or six years old when this happened. So to show you what a sweet little supportive town Paola really was, the kids weren't, my mom and her sisters and brother were not put into foster care or adopted out. They instead just continued to live in that house by themselves. And and they took care of each other and people from the community would constantly check in on them. And many of the moms in the community would you know, mother those kids and make them a quilt or bring them some food. And, and even my mom today still has this quilt where she's like, this is what one of the moms made me. And oh, I love so that really. Right. Oh, that's really <laughs> Makes me want to cry. But, um, but, you know, they basically became the community kids and I love the people of Paola for that reason. And, and would you believe it be that all four kids went to college and three of them, including my mother got their degrees. And that then, is awesome. Right? That is so great. It's crazy. What a, what a story. But um, my mom and dad used to drag Maine and that's how they met. My dad kept cat calling my mom and they ultimately ended up together. Real classy mom and dad. So, so romantic. <laughs> but um, for anyone who may not know what dragging Maine is, it's where, especially in small towns, the young people would drive their cars up and down Main Street and basically flirt with each other from their cars. It's not like that was just with Oklahoma. It was everywhere. Maybe this generation the newer generations may not know what that is. I don't know. Do y'all know what dragging main is, but Hey, they didn't have Netflix back then. So you had to do what you had to do. Um, but I say we bring back the whole dragging through town thing. I think in my hometown, they still do it actually, but maybe someone from Darko can confirm that for me, but uh, I don't know if they can bring it back in California. I mean, the gas is really expensive here. <laughs> Um, but anyway, you can come to Oklahoma and you can fill up a bus for five days for what you can fill up a motorcycle in California. Probably. Uh, I believe it, but you won't have the beautiful beaches and the, the Bay area and the scenery that you might have, you know, in California. So very true. Very true. (laughs) Okay. So your mom and dad met dragging and (laughs) dragging the main street. And then what happened after that? So those little rebels, um, they got married the day after Christmas in the late sixties and my mama made her own dress and veil. And I have both of those and they're really precious to me. But of course my mom, when I think about it, she must've weighed 90 pounds. So I don't think I could even get one leg into that dress. It's so tiny, tiny. but I know she's so little. And my sisters are like that too. They're so little. If you look at pictures of me with my sisters, I'm only like five, six, five, seven. I look like I'm five. 10 next to them because they're just already so petite, you know, but, um, (laughs) that was the same with my sisters too. I felt like a beast, right? You just, I'm a big person, (laughs) (laughs) but it, I mean, it makes me sad though. When I think about my mom's mom, not being there to help her pick out a wedding gown, I never want to take that for granted that I have her, especially when 
Um, she wasn't lucky to have her mother around, but so kids hug your moms and dads. Every day is precious. Anyway, they had my sisters and me and, and are stuck with us. So. And so then are you and your sisters pretty close? Oh, definitely. Um, they're my best friends and we text several times per day, every day. And half the time I'm laughing so hard. They're my hog Creek ride or die sisters, but my mom is in most of those texts too. And some of the time she's getting onto us for whatever silliness we're carrying on about, but my parents divorced when I was in college. So we sisters really needed each other during that time. And they've since remarried and, you know, my mom and my dad have both remarried people and, and they're really happy. And it just feels like all is right with the world, but well, I agree. Sisters are definitely the best. I, you know, growing up, I had two sisters, so that was always a lot of fun. So I'm sure we probably have a lot of similar stories about oh, so terrorizing true. our sisters and, <laughs> and everything. The trick is you have to look like you don't know you're terrorizing them. Exactly. Like, oh, that to... noise annoys you? Really? Yeah. Oh, who, who, what? Me? <laughs> I... <laughs> Exactly. Yes. It's an I, art yeah. form. Okay. I, you know, I still do terrorize, but you know, it's what you we can, do. just can't. Yeah. My mom yells at me. So <laughs> that's awesome. So going back to you going off to college. So you went to Southwestern Oklahoma state and then later on you went to Butler university, but you were mentioning that you kind of struggled in college. Oh my gosh. Right. And I, really had a tough time in college, especially the first couple of years. I loved being there and I loved studying music. I sang opera there, but I had no money. And I know my parents would have helped out if they could have, they totally would have. And by the way, no one owes me anything. The fact that I scraped by and didn't give up on making my own way gives me a lot of pride. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying these things to both tell my story and to encourage anyone who is struggling to please just, you know, hang in there, not hanging in there because it's easy because it's not easy. But as they say, if it were easy, you may not appreciate it as much. So if that inspires anybody today, even in just a little bit. Um, yeah. So I mentioned earlier, my grandmother had paid for me to, to stay and it was in one side of a duplex. It was a long way from campus because um, my parents didn't want me to live in a dorm among the other kids, which you would have thought that that would be more safe, but mm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I had my little car, which was a 1974 Volkswagen rabbit that my sister passed down to me. I loved that car, the manual transmission and it died, which meant it was literally dragged to the dump. So oh dear. Uh, we spent a lot of time at the dump. <laughs> but we had a lot of cars that broke down, but so my dad bought another car at that same dump from the guy and it was only $500. He's like, Hey, I can fix it up, which he always did. He was able to fix the cars up, but they just they wouldn't maintain. So within a week that car died as well. And then my brother-in-law who has always been so good to me, he loaned me a car, but the transmission went out oh, the same grief. day I got it. So at that point we were out of options and I was carless. So I would walk quite a distance to college every day to a music store to work there. Also to this really big house where I used to clean once a week and then to various people's homes to babysit. And I taught voice lessons and I waited tables and it was hard to be in school with all of those jobs and to try to study too, but I loved working and I honestly loved learning in school. So it sounds like I'm complaining, but it really was stressful, but, <laughs> um, but eventually I, I couldn't pay my phone bill. So it was shut off. And occasionally I would have to let the electric bill go unpaid until I could save up enough money to pay it. And you know what? That's what being in college is all about. That's yeah, what it's true. all about. <laughs> and, um, but I was thankful 
you know, there's, there's always these little lights along the way. So I would go to this native food distribution center nearby to get things like flour and canned vegetables. And of course those big blocks of commodity cheese that everybody talks about. So yummy, but sometimes I literally survived on just cheese and some peanut butter, but, but I was incredibly grateful for my voice teacher who would somehow, I swear he would make a way for me to go to music competitions. And he was, he was just always kind of like looking over me um, the whole time. But when you, oh, that's that, neat. right. He was like my, my angel, you know, my angel in college, but yeah, he's looking out for you. He was. And again, I think I was so young. I sometimes just didn't really sit and think about it. But when you look back on times like that, you realize there was always something to be grateful for. There always is like in hard times and in good times, we got to look for those things and, and you will find them. And I'm not saying that because I'm coming from a place of my whole life was so easy. It's, it's really easy to go, oh, if you've had nothing bad happen in your life and you've always had things given to you or something like that, which there's not many people out there like that, but it's easy to go. Life is great. Everybody's great. Let's all be positive. But I think when you can like choose to be positive, when life is hard, it's, it's a test, you know? Um, but yeah. I remember <laughs> I, I was thinking about this the other day. I remember my best friend coming up from in darko to hang out with me and I had gotten some lip gloss and shampoo in my stocking for Christmas. So she was just as broke as I was. So we went to the Walmart to return those items so we could get money back to be able to go to Jerry's diner and get a cinnamon roll. Ooh, <laughs> yum. So warm. <laughs> it was like one of those 24 seven, but they always had fresh, you know, cinnamon rolls. But if she's listening right now, I'm sure she's remembering that moment and how good those cinnamon rolls were. And my Swasu friends, you know what I'm talking about too, Jerry's Diner. But, you know, people who had their college paid for will never quite know the struggle, but how fun that struggle can be sometimes too. You know, you yeah. get resourceful. But, and then I spent three years at Swasu. And in the meantime, a man I had met at church when I was 16 and he was five years older. He finally decided when I was a sophomore in college that I wasn't such a pipsqueak after all. And, um, we got to know each other more when I was in college, believe it or not, even though we were in different towns. And by the end of my junior year, uh, we were married. And so I quit college to marry him and moved to Indianapolis where his job had transferred him. And then I went to Butler university and came very close to finishing my degree, but I had become pregnant with my daughter after ah, years of marriage. So okay. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> but I took a summer class and, you know, trying to finish that degree up. And then I had her in August of 1999 and I, I was one class away from finishing I mean, that sounds so dramatic, but I had one more class. I have to pause to say, wow, this, you know, this little girl brought so much joy to my life. She's 22 now and she's living in DC and she's such a great person. I mean, she's ornery and she's strong-willed and she can, oh, she can be so um, just stubborn, but she's beautiful and she's happy (laughs) and one of the funniest people I know, but I seriously don't know how I got so lucky to have her, but but, um, she really is the best thing that ever happened mm. to me. So, okay. I'll stop with the mom, stuff. but, <laughs> but the other side of all of that is when she was a year old, we divorced, um, which really set my life into a tailspin, you know, how so, well, her dad and I just parted ways when we divorced. In fact, we remain friends and we're actually still friends to this day, but there was no child support. And of course my family didn't have any ways uh. to help me financially. So, which I wouldn't have wanted them to anyway. Um, 
but I still had a couple of classes I needed to finish up. Like I said, I had that one main class I had to finish to obtain my degree and neither of us, my ex-husband and I had family in Indianapolis. So we were definitely single parenting. And, um, I worked really just about any job I could find that didn't require a degree. I sold mm-hmm. jackets. I scrubbed toilets. I even started my own like cleaning and organizing business. By the way, there is such a market for that, like an organizing business that also, Oh yeah. Even still. Your- Right. (laughs) Sometimes I want to go back to that because the OCD thing is, yeah, (laughs) it fills it. But I waited tables and my goal was to keep food on the table for that child, no matter what, no matter how many jobs I didn't care what kind of job, you know, but in 2004, so 11 years after I had started at Swasu, I went back to the good folks at Butler university, God bless them. They were amazing. And I said, listen, if I change my music degree to be a bachelor of arts in music performance, what would that look like? you know, would I be able to finally mm-hmm. get my degree? And they gladly obliged. And I had enough credits from my schooling at Butler to, to not only fulfill my degree, but I almost had even enough credits for a minor. So, wow. Oh, I couldn't have been prouder of getting that dang degree. Oh, that's have so to go back fantastic. To, right. Yeah. But then I, you know, I advised my daughter that once she started her degree to not do not quit until you've obtained it. Mm-hmm. I don't even care if you end up you know, just getting the easiest degree in the world, Do it. the whole scheme of things. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not for everybody. I'm not even saying college is for everybody. A degree is not for everybody. It's not like I had gone into a trade or I had, you know, I wasn't really good at being a dental assistant or something. So, I, you know, either a degree or trade or something, but, but thank goodness, you know, my daughter didn't, she did listen and she didn't follow my example of 11 years to a bachelor's degree plan. It, it took me years to pay off my student loans, but it was a great feeling when I finally did. Oh, but that's fantastic. Once you, once you get through it. Yeah. Got to celebrate the victories, man. Yep. So something I was determined to do was to show my daughter how hard I worked, but not let her see that sometimes I felt defeated. So, and I'm saying this purposely right now, because I was a single mom for a very long time. And I'm hoping that, you know, other single moms or dads out there will hear this. And, but I always tried to dress nice, even though 90% of my closet was from Goodwill. And instead of saying, we can't afford that, I'd say, let's see how fast we can save up for that. Instead of like complaining. I'm not saying I never complained, but I'd tell her, let's find what we can be grateful for. But again, I had a lot of moments of stress and concern for the future, but we did survive. And we live in America. You know, there are people who are so generous here. And if I needed something, I'm sure I could go to somebody and say, I need help. And and Mm -hmm. it's just my pride keeping me from asking that. But I went, I did go to a church one day to ask if they could, you know, give us some food and they were so kind and they didn't make me feel worthless. And I didn't want to go to my own church though, because I never wanted to show them my situation. And, you know, talking about kindness, um, one year I had some health problems and I'll always remember this and be so grateful. And I had some surgeries, I had no insurance. And so St. Vincent hospital called me months later saying they pick a patient every year to forgive their medical bills. And by random selection, they forgave mine as well. Wow. Right. It's just, oh, it gives me that's amazing. I know. Thank you. St. Vincent's. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that year I had lived on $5,000. I mean, how in the world did oh I my do goodness. that? I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know, but you know, a job based on my music degree was never going to pay the bills for me and my child. So I basically worked any job in any field, like I said, and all roads kept leading back to sales as far as what could bring me the most income based on my skill set, which again was music. Now, again, a music degree isn't usually going to make anyone rich, but at least it was a degree, which meant I could get into those jobs that required a degree. And, and the good thing about the music degree was I had spent 
years since I was 12 years old, performing in front of audiences of all sizes. So this really kind of came in handy for me, you know, since yeah. my sales world, it's like, you got to get out there and you got to present several times a day. And I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. But, but I eventually made my way into software sales. Um, and I'm grateful to the company who took a chance on me for that first tech sales job. Like I didn't have any experience in tech and it was a trade-off though. My base salary dropped significantly when I left a non-sales job to try something new, but it felt like the right move and it paid off. It's what worked for me. Everybody has their own thing, but yeah. I think about, you know, so many stories along the way that no one may have ever known. Like I had a friend group that just assumed I was doing okay financially. And at one point they asked me to be part of this big fundraising event that would take a lot of work on all our parts. And I wanted to be part of it. I was excited about it, but what they didn't understand is that sometimes they'd ask me to, you know, meet them at a restaurant 30 minutes away to have meetings. And not only could I not afford the gas, but I couldn't also afford the food at the restaurant and have to bring my daughter with me because I couldn't afford a babysitter. And then my daughter would inevitably want food. And um, when we were at the restaurant. And so here I was like raising funds for others, but couldn't even afford a drive to the other side of town wow. or, you know, how in the early days of my tech sales, like every deal was so difficult and, you know, everything's riding on it. It's like, if I could just make this one sale, it's a game changer, you know, like mm -hmm. stay focused, <laughs> but, but I sold a complex product that sometimes could take a couple of years or more to sell. If I had known that I probably wouldn't have gotten into it. It's probably good that I didn't know, but a typical scenario was, I'd be stressed beyond measure, my car breaking down multiple times, my you know rent being overdue while I was waiting for my commission check that maybe had gotten delayed because of customer payment and so on. So I'd be cold calling, trying to set up that next sale with which um, everything depended upon. And someone would yell at me over the phone, calling me all kinds of names. I get it. I Cold calling is the worst. I hate cold calling. I hate being cold called on. So that's why I try to be nice to them. But, but there's nothing like already being down and being stepped on further. Yeah. And I say, you know how it is, you know, it's just mm -hmm. out really. I mean, but I say all of that to say, really, you never know what someone's going through. So a kind word goes a long way and don't assume that every single parent receives child support or that everything's going well. Sometimes even just a dinner at a restaurant is enough to break the bank. So I don't know. I just, I have a big heart for the single parents out there or anyone really struggling to, to make ends meet. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't even seem like your paycheck covers your bills, much less, oh, food and gas and, and all that stuff. So I just want y'all to know out there that I hear you and I've been there. That's really inspiring that you were able to overcome a lot of those difficulties and just power through kind of reminds me of, of your mom and you're talking about your mom and she was a hard worker and right. Yeah. So true. So true. And when yeah, my dad left her, she didn't have a career. So she had to figure out you know, how to pick herself up too. And, and I loved having that role model to go, she's rising from the ashes, man. She's going to, she's going to win. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it sounds like you had that same type of experience where you went from being divorced and then, you know, trying to figure out your own way so that you could stand on your own feet. And so how long did that take you? Good point. Yeah. From about 2001 to about 2012. So about, you know, 11 years, um, 2009 was when I started the software sales job that I loved. So once commissions finally started kicking in, I was able to start breathing again. You know, Nice. Oh. Yeah. I admire you for working sales. I don't know that I, that I could do it. Even honestly. though you'd be amazing at it. 
Ugh, I get embarrassed and I would probably, yeah, somebody would say no. I just, okay. I'd probably burst (laughs) into tears. I'm going to go suck my thumb now. (laughs) Okay, never mind. Sorry I bothered you. It is true. Because, like, you have to just be like, okay, no worries. That's awesome. Right. I'll um, I'll see you another day. (laughs) Yeah, you kind of have to have that tough outer shell to be able to, totally, you know. Yes, I'm not. I'm from Northern California. I am not from Oklahoma. We're a little soft here. (laughs) No, that's okay though. I love that. And I love the people of California, but you know, you, um, you do have the other stuff that I don't have, which is like, you're not afraid to try out some new stuff with the podcast. And, you know, you're always thinking of, you're always problem solving. Like when I first came to you and I was like, what do I do about this? It's not working. You're like, oh, no worries. I've got you. Just hang on a second. Yeah. I know. Well, that's good that we, you know, we each have our strengths True. that help us. <laughs> so um, you had mentioned that you had some jobs on the side while you're working your full-time job. So what were some of those side jobs that you were doing? Oh my gosh, the side jobs I did house cleaning, sales and marketing contract work. I did local and national commercials and infomercials. I remember having to sit in, in this um, one scene where I was in a bird bath sitting cross-legged and I had this huge beak on, um, I I was supposed to be a bird. I had this huge beak on that kind of came to a cone that was so long that they had to actually take like, um, a stand for kind of like a mic boom. And they had to drop a string from it that would hold the end of my nose up because it was so heavy. (laughs) And we were sitting there going, what am I doing? (laughs) That sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Gotta do what you gotta do. I guess so. But, but, and something that helped with this podcast, because I've been learning, this is my first podcast um, and I'm definitely learning a lot, but I directed and wrote commercials and infomercials. I did contract work as a writer um, and then waiting tables, babysitting. Um, I was a writer for a dating and relationships column. I put on singles events. I did public speaking. I decorated homes. I'm sure I'm missing something there, but yeah, those, those were my side gigs and I was very proud of them. <laughs> Collectively, That's, they helped pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were many and varied, Yes, <laughs> which that it's kind of like me though, because I've always done a lot of different things and I think that that's just kind of another similarity that we you have. We're very too. artistic and, yes. you know, we're just, we always have to be creating something. And so like you were saying, I do problem solving. Part of that is, you know, art and creating. I, you know, imagine things all the time and I'm constantly like trying to figure out how to make something better or how to create something. And, you know, so that's like a different type of problem solving, but yeah, it's kind of so true applies. though. You're right. And I've watched you on Twitch and speaking of, I think it's only fair that our listeners also get a chance to know more about the really cool work you do. So why don't you share a little? Well, um, okay. I guess we're going to switch places then. <laughs> <laughs> I will be the guest now. So, yeah. um, so some of the cool things that I do, well, you know, I did mention that I love art and so I'm very involved in sculpting and um, I make projects with animal bones and which sounds really strange, but they actually, they turn out so beautiful. I love not only collecting bones that I find just like on the beach or whatever, like little bird bones and things. Um, But then I also uh, 
because I'm a beekeeper. That's a whole other, that's a whole other story, but yes, ladies I, and gentlemen, she also <laughs> is a beekeeper. I can't I believe it. It's amazing. I do. I, I, do. I like a lot of bugs, not all. I'm a little iffy on spiders, but you know, <laughs> I just, too. I really do try to help animals and insects. And so I collect a lot of the dead insects that I find. Oh. And so I have like a lot of things on my walls and people will give me different, you know, bugs that they've found oh. somewhere like dragonflies or wasps or, you know, whatever. And so oh, yeah. I try to make art with them. That's just kind of something that I really enjoy doing. I, you know, we were talking about it earlier. I love nature. I love being around living mm -hmm. creatures, not mm -hmm. so much people as right <laughs> as animals and bugs and you know, creatures that kind don't of talk back to you. I mean, well, I do I mean, like people, but you know, if, if you like <laughs> you next time in, um, I'm in Oklahoma, I'll go into the pasture. I'll bring you all kinds of bones. <laughs> oh my goodness. I would be so excited. I get, you know, like friends will hear about it and be like, oh, well in 1985, I found this bone oh, and wow. I'm going to mail it to you. It's like, oh, okay. And so I it's love like, that. yeah just different random things so yeah, yeah I just oh. I really love to to be artsy and then of course I love the singing and I still sing I still sing uh quite a bit actually uh mm -hmm. I haven't really done any performing in front of anybody but um you know I did teach just like you did private voice lessons and beginning piano and okay. I did that for about 10 years I and didn't then know you did it that long Wow, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And you know, and I put on musicals with my students. And yeah, it was it was really, really neat. And I think they had a really great time. And then in another life, I also managed an independent bookstore. So uh, I just, you were I in love, a bookstore too? Yes, what? I love it. Yes. For like 14 years, I managed this what? bookstore and it kind of overlapped some of the other things I did. But uh, I loved that bookstore. So Oh, being in a bookstore yeah. and that's funny because I really have time to read you probably are the same way but I love being around books you know just like there's just something about it. it's like oh within each one of these is a is a mystery or magic or romance yeah. and you know. yeah I mean there's just nothing like it and really when you go to a bookstore a lot of times you just meet really interesting people and yeah. so having customers come in and you know you end up in all these like conversations that you never thought you would be right. getting like, into but oh, i just told them just my like, whole life story <laughs> i know so you're telling people all these things and then uh you're learning and it's just really nice to be able to kind of swap book stories too with people and give them recommendations totally. and you know i love it when people get excited over things that i'm excited about anyways so yeah and you know i i worry that the bookstores are going to go away someday but it looks like I know. we're kind of more steady than we used to be but you know what's fun is fun finding like those New York city, little bookstores that are, you know, kind of an old building and set back and yes. the floors are creaking oh. wood floors. And it's just like, Love Oh, it. can I just live here? <laughs> I know. I just want to go in and like smell all the books. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> Oh, ma'am, yeah. ma'am. <laughs> you know, I'm the sorry, <laughs> but you know, you really, you really are so talented in multiple areas. And I'm not just saying that I, I kind of, you know, when you sing, you just, it's so calming. And when I watch you make the, oh, the sculpting things, because I watched you make a, I think it was a dragon one time. And okay. Yeah. But, but anyway, kudos to you. But even though you always seem so happy and positive, I know your life hasn't always been easy. You know, I know kind of that backstory. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I'll mention it a little bit. I know that if I get too in depth, I might get too I know, emotional. We'll both need Kleenexes, right? I know we've talked about it at length, but um, as I mentioned before, I am from a family uh, with three girls, and I lost one of my sisters about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so it was very unexpected. She had had a stroke after a minor surgery. And it, yeah, like I said, it was just completely unexpected. And so that has really been something that I've had to work through and as well as my whole family, you know, mm -hmm. and I think to some extent, uh, it has brought us all closer together. But you know, even then, I was always really close with my sisters. You know, I probably grew up somewhat similar to you in, you know, being able to play with my sisters. And mm -hmm. you were talking about shelling peas under an apricot tree. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of me and my sisters. My dad and mom would plant lima beans. And I remember oh, no sitting, yeah, sitting in the swing and shelling lima beans. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. What a great so, memory. I yeah. But that. we would just like, chit chat and i don't know i don't feel like people do that kind of thing I like know, families right? don't do those things anymore people they watch tv and yeah yeah and we would we would just sit outside and we were just we loved each other you know and mm -hmm. of course not 100 always got along like i had mentioned before yeah, we would sisters, they can each be other brutal man oh yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sure i was kind of a bully i was the oldest one and <laughs> you know but i was always the like the enforcer and i was always the one who would you know kind of boss my sisters and make sure I they bet. were falling in line so you know that's just kind of kind of how we grew up so it mm -hmm. is different now missing our it was the middle sister who had passed away and so yeah i definitely feel that but i love that you and i were able to connect because i love seeing you and your sisters and the relationship oh, that you guys right. have and it's just really nice to be able to see somebody else who kind of has that same family experience like I had with two sisters. Right. And and because of your story, it has made me so much more aware of I'd never want to take them for granted. And not that not that anybody, you know, you can't sit around your whole life being like that, but I'm so much more aware now because I remember when that happened and um, you know, everybody was just devastated at work too, just for what you're going through. And of course, there's nothing any of us can say, can say to you to make you feel better. And, right. but, and, you know, something that, you know, that's trauma, obviously the, the people who survive go through so much, you know, thinking about the loss and how much they miss them. And, um, but you, at a certain time of year, you know, when that, all of that happened, you get very nostalgic and you kind of have to go into yourself for a week or so. And it's painful as that is to watch. It's like, it's also, you do that because you love her so much, you know, and she's still part of your life. She'll never be out of your life and all that. But I think about sometimes the dynamic of when I'm just with my sister, Stacy, it's one way when I'm just with Skylar, it's another way. Each one of us have our own relationships together, but when we all get together, it's something really um, there's a lot of energy in the air. And so mm -hmm. I, I just, I wish um, we could get all our sisters together and we live closer and stuff so that we could, 
you know, that would be, be that, fun. You'd have too many sisters at that point. And I, <laughs> I feel like you're an extra sister that I have. So right, I have too. made, <laughs> I have made more family as time, you know, yes. has gone on and I will always miss my sister, but I know she would want me to keep doing what I'm doing and not get overly sad about sure. her not being here, you know? Sure. And I, I'm, I'm still glad though, that you, you're always facing this head on. You're always just like, today's a bad day. Um, <laughs> I just need to cry a little bit. And, um, yeah, anyway, it is what it is. I you know, you. you just, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you just do what you do to get through things. And, um, you know, we're, our family is at a really good place right now to where we can talk about her and laugh at some of mm -hmm. our stories that, you know, we tell right, right. and, you know, we have really good memories of her. So I'm really happy about that. I'm so glad. So glad. Uh, I wish we could just always have a little bit more time with all those people we love that I know, I know, uh, you know, I think we've all lost people that we love in our lives. But when we get to talk about them, we just kind of I don't know, it's like, they're here again for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> really That's nice. why we need to keep talking about her. So yeah, exactly. Thanks for, you know, sharing that and being open because, you know, I, I met with someone the other day who um, her daughter had committed suicide and, and she wanted to talk about her. And I was like, Oh, I'm so glad she wants to talk about her. I want to yeah. hear about her. What was she like? And so we can all keep her in our memories. But yeah. anyway, thanks again for sharing about that. Yeah, sure. Our sweet sister. Okay. Well, we've talked about me long enough. So <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is more about you. So let's go back to you. So before we switched over to me, we were talking about how you had raised your daughter. And then, you know, probably I would probably talk about next, you know, just meeting my husband in 2011. And, you know, it's, we go from such a serious subject um, back to something happy. Um, but I met my husband back in 2011 and we've been married for nearly nine years now. And nice. I was one of those people that always held out hope that I'd find someone great, but I didn't actually believe it. So <laughs> I actually failed at believing. I don't have any big story about how, if you keep believing, cause I had totally given up, I held yeah. out hope, but I still kind of gave up. But, um, but then there's this guy, you know, he comes and sweeps her off my feet and is this amazing husband and dad and stepdad. And, you know, I'd gone 12 years before I met him after my divorce. And if that, if I could go back and say anything to the newly divorced me, I would say, I didn't know what I wanted at that time. I kind of was like, I don't think I ever want to get married again, but then sometimes I'd get really lonely, um, mm -hmm. you know, on a weekend when I'm watching people grill and I'm like, I don't even know what to do when I don't have my daughter. And I don't know what to do when I do have my daughter. Cause I had all these couples friends and now I'm like, what, where do I fit? I would have just told myself to relax and just enjoy the journey. And, you know, it could be 10 years. It could be a month that could be 20 years before you meet your soulmate. But I do, I do think that if someone wants someone special that he's out there anyway, but anyway, what I love about my, my husband today, Nick, um, he loves my daughter as if she were his own, you know, she got into Yale and we had allowed her to apply to some Ivy leagues thinking she wouldn't get in mm -hmm. <laughs> not because we thought she was dumb. Cause she's super smart, but it's like, Oh, it's hey, one chance be prepared. And Right. Yeah. We didn't know what to say when she actually got in. She's like, I'm going to Yale. And I'm like, wow. Oh no. How do we pay for this? And you know what my <laughs> husband did? He was like, your kid gets into Yale. You sell the farm, you make it work. And I was like, that's amazing. You're, oh, she's that's not even fantastic. your blood child. And and then, you know, he has a son and he's such a good guy. He goes to university of Arkansas and we love going over to the campus. We don't get over there too often, but you know, definitely not as often as we'd like, cause it's so far away, but he's just a good 
kid and I'm kind of like, wow, do, do I, do I knock on wood? Like do I breathe. <laughs> so, but he supports me too in everything I do. My husband does. And, you know, for instance, with this podcast out of the blue, I'd been kind of stewing over it in my head and with you and stuff, but I was like, Hey honey, I know I work a lot of hours already, but I think I could do something that I'm really passionate about. Cause I was really feeling like I was having a midlife crisis during that time. I was like, what do you know, I can work the rest of my life, but what does it mean? Like, yeah. You know, what is, am I doing anything that makes any kind of a difference or just having something out there that's entertaining for people? You know, what should I do? And, and I was like, I think I want to preserve native American ancestral stories. And he didn't even blink. He just looked at me. I was like, okay, cool. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So he sat down with me and he brought some, you know, some budget stuff together. Cause he does the budget. We used to do it together. And one day I was like, you do it. I'm done. Cause I hate dealing with money, but, um, he brought some, you know, like some numbers to me and he was like, I think we should invest this much in it. And I was like, really? I mean, just out of the blue and, and he was all for it. So as always, I'm, I'm in Oklahoma a good amount of the year since my family all lives there and we're currently buying a place there so we can have podcast guests and friends and family come over and he's all about it. You know, he's the one that started saying we should get a house there. I mean, for, first of all, the real estate is so cheap or inexpensive, great brick homes there at a really good price. You know, I just love that he's been that support supportive. That's amazing. But, yeah. Oh, good guy. but I can't forget the newest member of our family. She's almost two years old now, but Taloa, the golden retriever. Oh, I love uh, Taloa. Oh, I, I love yes. your babies too. Love her, love her. <laughs> so what does Taloa mean anyways? Well, believe it or not, um, it means to sing in Choctaw. So you and I both relate to that word, yeah. but she's so cute. She recently adopted some baby rabbits that had been abandoned oh. by the mama, but, and she was kind enough to bring into the house. Um, so that was lovely, but we tried to support her in her new baby's quest. Cause she really like in her head, you could just see it. She'd gotten into, into her head that she had new babies. Um, but these rabbits were so young and so little that they didn't make it. But, oh. um, but one in particular really loved being with her. Cause we had him for like a week and a half or something. And she'd follow Taloa around everywhere and snuggle with her and Taloa dropped her into the pool. So there Oops. was that. So she's not quite, her mommy skills are not quite up to par yet, but did you know that rabbits can swim like really well? I did not. Yep. The little guy swam out to the middle of the pool and back all on its own. And I learned something about rabbits. <laughs> wow. I wouldn't have thought that it could have survived. <laughs> That's amazing. Poor little baby. No, it, no. Uh, it sounds like life is good. Yeah. You know, it is, it's life is good. And, but it, it always was good. Even when it wasn't, if that makes sense. Um, I left a lot of, I left some parts out of the story. We all have things like that where we're just like, Oh, I think I'll avoid that part. But <laughs> yeah. I, but I live in the, in the country I love and my family is all alive and healthy right now. So as we were talking earlier, you know, you try to be grateful for that and keep that in mind. But what irks me more than anything though, is when people just you know, see where you are right now and see that you're content in life and maybe don't realize the hard work or the heartbreak or the frustrations along the way. And again, that's part of why I wanted to, when you and I were talking about doing this, it was like, let's just tell our stories. Um, but nothing was handed to me and nothing. And I mean, nothing came easy. 
I mean, maybe easier than some people, you know, some people grow up having, um, you know, just more against them that they're having to face um, when they grow up. But in general, I don't think anything really came that easy, but this has been one of my favorite verses from the Bible, even in the darkest times, not that I speak in regard to need for, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that part about being content, it's like a choice. Like I've learned to be content and I'm not, I'm not talking about content as in, I really should get up and get a job. Um, but I'm feeling lazy and content. That's not the kind of mm-hmm. content I'm talking about, but by the way, notice it says content and not happy. There's so much emphasis these days on being happy. Like you all have to be happy and you have to get a career that you're so happy with and you wake up happy every day. And I think it's like setting this precedence for almost for failure because, you know, our kids might wake up thinking, why am I not happy? Why am I not naturally just on this high all the time? Yeah. But, and so maybe, I don't know, these are just some of my theories, but I wonder if maybe being happy shouldn't always be the goal in life. Maybe helping people and caring is more important than trying to just soak in happiness 24 seven, that me, 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 um, you know, that me, me, me thing all the time. But in the meantime, choosing to be content and looking around no matter what stage in life and saying, I choose to be content and I'm grateful. You know, it's a good place to be. Well, I love it. And I totally agree with that. Being content with who you are, with who you have in your life and with what you have, you know, that's, that's a type of happiness all on its own. You know, it, it brings you a type of peace. And if you've got that in your heart, then you are just going to be grateful for everything that you have. I think you said it well, you know, you said peace and you said grateful and Uh, Maybe all those things go hand in hand, content, peace, grateful, and some of that's a choice. I know that that's a hard thing for people to swallow. I I think these days people aren't saying that as much as they used to, but I'm still hanging on to it. Like sometimes it is a choice. Sometimes you just have to be like, (laughs) damn it, I'm going on with this life. Yep. But thanks so much. I mean, you did such a good job interviewing me. (laughs) Thank you. You weren't so bad yourself, (laughs) but I do have to tell you, I ran out of Dr. Pepper. Oh, you're running out of gas. Me too. Let's fuel up for the next part, part two. (laughs) So we're going to stop part one here. And then in part two, we're going to hear about Rachel's ancestors and their interesting history. And then we'll also learn about the coincidences along her journey to find their stories and the missing pieces to her ancestral puzzle. Yeah, cookie. Yeah, cookie. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together we build success because together we're more. Thanks for listening to Native Choctaw. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends.